The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Welcome to the Brandon Peters Show and the continued adventures of the summer of 93 at 30. It's the summer of 93 at 30. It's a weekend by weekend look at the movies released during the summer of 1993. As always with me, he's here. He's behind the mic. It's the rap Scott Mendelson. Always a pleasure. Uh I have nothing clever to say this time. That's okay. Uh, neither did Coneheads. And uh, writer for We Live Entertainment, Why So Blue Variety, and host of Out Now with Aaron and Abe, it's Aaron Newworth. Hey, I, this is a huge week, Brandon, because <laughs> I, I wrote this down. There's so many names. It's Big Emmett Summer. It's Big Janet Summer. It's Tone Loke Summer. It's Big Petty Summer. It's Big Billy Summer. Again, it's the start of Big Sun- Sinbad Summer. It's Big Dreyfus Summer. Mm-hmm. It's Big Ferrer Summer. And it's Big Rosie Summer. I had like, su- I had it as Summer O'Donnell. <laughs> there's, so, there's so much happening. <laughs> Oh my god, this is like you thought some of these other episodes were gonna be huge. This is a huge week. It's a big one for the summer of ninety-three series. <laughs> for like a, a very random set of movies that we're gonna talk about. It's a pretty big week. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh this week is these four films we're talking about. Um July twenty-three through twenty-five of nineteen ninety-three. That's the weekend we are discussing. Uh one of the films did not come out this week and we bumped it here just for balance. Uh, that's what we do. Um, I like that someone's going to write in like, why did you talk about this movie last week? <laughs> it doesn't come out this week. I will I will hit skip, 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 skip. Now they're on the next segment. The real, uh, I will come back to this when it appropriately releases. The, the real TBPS fans are right. jumping. <laughs> to be they're like, they're going to make the chronological <laughs> cut. That's what they're going to do. this calendar and I don't like it. <laughs> Smash that subscribe button. So yeah. since this is this is dropping in late July, what did you like better, Barbie or Oppenheimer? <laughs> I like that, that Robert was a Barbie girl in a Barbie world, but that Barbie ended up blowing up like part of a small nation of Transformers. So mm. big twist on both of those movies. I opt for Oppenheimer. <laughs> Oof. Anyway, anyway, on to the news. When I wake up, don't you know I'm gonna be? I'm gonna be the man who brings the news to you. No, I do not intend to resign. I told him that I would not resign. It's too important that it uh, that I actually stay the course all the way. On July 19th, President Bill Clinton fires FBI Director William S. Sessions. Willie versus Willie. Mm-hmm. Scott, you were protesting that, weren't you? 
I don't remember why. Why was he fired? And I'll tell you why if I was protesting. I, I don't know why he was fired. Not fun enough. Now I'm kind of curious. What was the guy's name again? William S. Sessions. From the Sessions? John Hawks' characters? That's looking at. He's like, why did I protest this man? Well, Scott he was the first theory. FBI director ever to be fired. Oh, but History. not the first to be dismissed by the president. Mm. Oh, way to get ahead. Way to get no, ahead. he's not related to De- Jeff Sessions, who was the attorney general briefly under President Trump. Okay. Um, Interesting. So, How do you have the light on everything but your face right now, Scott? I'm very curious about this. I don't know. For the YouTube users. Nothing around here. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll move on to July 21st. Because the light's like... Uh, Anyway, you know so who much. said you know who else said fuck it angela kennedy as she swam a world record 50 meter butterfly stroke in 26.93 seconds okay. um whoa this is brighter when you hold it whoa the lights <laughs> science and, is neat on july 22nd the lights were very bright at new york yankee stadium as don mattingly hit his oh, i gave you that run. one yeah and mattingly. uh he was on a simpsons episode don mattingly yeah uh, July 23rd, Chris Boardman cycled a world record one hour distance of 52.27 kilometers on that same day. A China Northwest, China Northwest Airlines BAE 146 300 crashes at Yintron, killing 55 people. As New York Yankee Mark Hutton is the first pitcher, first Australian pitcher to be a starter. And he beat the Angels five to two. Are those two items connected? <laughs> same day, same day. Yeah, that's like the worst cards against humanity option you could have. Right yeah, <laughs> it's funny because countless people died. And right. then, and then, oh gosh, here's a weird one. Uh, the next day, New York met Vince Coleman injured three people when he threw a cherry bomb at Dodger fans. It's not funny. Don't do that. Wow. <laughs> Three people. What an arm. Smash <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that subscribe button. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. All right. Um, since you're chuckling, we'll move on to the deaths of this like, week. <laughs> because he's a pitcher, did his arm throwing the cherry bomb like be registered as like a deadly weapon or something? Like some con air bullshit? He's probably tossing out the dugout, trying to scare him or something, and it hit hey, We're scared. He was trying to outdo they were gonna die. Yeah, huh? He was trying to outdo rookie of the year. Yeah, he was, yeah. <laughs> All right. So the this week passing away, uh E.T. producer Robert J. Glass, mm. uh Czech film director Elmar Kloss, uh jazz session pianist, and uh the arranger for slip sliding away for Paul Simon, In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel, and Grover Washington's Jr.'s Just the Two of Us, Richard T. passed away. And this was also the week that James Jordan, father of Michael Jordan, was found murdered. Ooh. So this was that way. I knew it was coming because it was not too long after the NBA finals that year. And then he would uh, probably his, his uh, announce his retirement. I don't think he announces his retirement uh, by the end of this summer series, but it would be coming. And then it's coming soon enough. He would play baseball. Speculation um, as to what's going on there, which recorded yeah, this. The, that air came out, by the way. Yeah, we, the air just came yes. out. That yeah, it's a very effervescent and lively, uh, Mr. Jordan. 
Right. Uh, he has that classic quote that's on his character poster. Here we go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Here we go. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, we have one birthday um, this Good. week. Uh, Arissa Seagal, the daughter of Steven Seagal and Kelly LeBrock. They have a daughter together? They have a kid? I didn't know Seagal had any children. That's some weird science right there. He reproduced. Yeah. Uh, good. Uh, That's uh, the right one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Weird. Weird song. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Programmed her to like Steven Seagal. So. Or not, is, since... Beyond the fact that she has famous parents, is she notable in any way? Is she also yeah, she's kind of stayed out of that was, that was the only one, yeah. Is she also a cop like her father in Louisiana? Does she the, acknowledge her father now? In the mean streets of Louisiana. Isn't he hasn't he like morphed into a Russian bad guy in a Steven Seagal movie? Yes. Pretty much, yeah. He's yeah. <sighs> he had practice in machete and then he upgraded to real life. Yeah. But you know, not quite as wild as that is Wilder Napalm, our first movie of the week. Um was released later this summer, but we moved it here. TriStar Pictures presents the story of a husband. How was your day? Good. No excitement. A wife. Bring home the boots and helmet tonight. And an old flame. I told you you married the wrong guy. Where's Vida? Once you've had a clown, you never go back. I'm fighting for you, baby! Wilder Napalm. You have bad luck with fire, don't you? Yes. Rated PG-13. The laughs are at your fingertips with pay-per-view. Uh, directed... By Glenn Gordon Caron, uh, written by Vince Gilligan, starring Deborah Winger, Dennis Quaid, Arliss Howard, Big Emmett Summer, and Emmett Walsh, Jim Varney. You know what I mean, Earl? Or not Earl. Is it Earl? Vern. 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 No, I mean Vern. <laughs> uh, Mimi Lieber and Marvin J. McIntyre. It's about two brothers with the secret power of starting fires with their minds. They reunite after years apart, only to find conflict with their differing lifestyles. Blind spot. Never, never seen it. Um, quirky movie. I didn't read the synopsis before I started it, and kind of a strange surprise. Scott, what did you think of Wilder Napalm? Uh, it did nothing for me. Hmm. Um very well acted, an interesting cast. It was a lot of fun to see Dennis Quaid and what I would argue is an against type role. Very much, yeah. Um, but it? it's weird that there's been like two movies we've watched like in a month about with like weird issues with each other and with women. Um, I guess Dead Ringers was what all the rage several years later. Um, beyond that, I mean, it it felt very cut and dry to me. I would argue. I mean, um, honestly, I, I didn't have a lot. It didn't do. It, it, I'm at a loss for words because it really didn't do much. I again, I enjoy seeing Dennis Quaid do that. I, I always like seeing Deborah Winger doing anything. She's been she's gone for so long. We made a documentary out of it. Um, and you can certainly see the potential in the writer who of course would go on to work on the X-Files and was he involved in the Final Destination series or was that somebody else? You mean no. Vince Gilligan of Breaking uh, Bad not, not and uh Well he started on the X-Files, right? Yeah. He started yeah. on X-Files, yeah. yes. It's nothing to do with Final Destination. X-Files yes. is Jeffrey Reddick. Okay, apologies. He was hired to write an X-Files thing that became Final Destination right now. 
I'm so confused. But yeah. Out now with Aaron and Abe, where you can hear Aaron and I talk to him about that. <laughs> yeah, I think I listened to that episode. Yep. You, inter- you talked to the writer of final uh, part three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, part one. Yeah. Part one. Part one, yeah. And story by of part two. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's. It kind of felt empty to me. You know, it's. They both can do fire. Yay. Other than that, meh, it's no house of cards. Oh, Jesus Christ. So you're like Siskel <laughs> and Ebert here because I, I went back and I, I watched. I was trying to get a there's not really a whole lot of tracking on like what people thought about this movie. But they said uh, they liked the energy of the film, but found it only an exercise in style stunts and pyrotechnics. And Ebert said, is, is there a markdown of things being blown up so big? Substitute, you just substitute for anything else happening? I was like, Jesus Christ. But I I thought this was a fun little movie. I I enjoyed, I do agree with Quaid. He's very loose and crazy here. Like a lot of times, and I don't mean it as like a disservice to the guy, but he's kind of like the, we couldn't get Harrison Ford. Can we call Dennis Quaid? But I couldn't see Harrison Ford doing this type thing Um, yeah so this is where he can he kind of stands out winger yes i can watch her do anything i thought there's like i don't think this is a great movie but it had little pockets of it that were really good like i like the barbershop quartet like firefighting guys like when they're putting out the house and singing ring of fire by johnny cash is i that's a great moment um and they uh take us out at the end during heat wave um, I, I, while they're like, I'll give you Scott that there's a lot of emptiness to this world. I did like what they were trying to build this kind of visual. It's got a really nice visuals to it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I thought there, there's the part where Quaid takes her out golfing that I really thought was cool. Um, just kind of enjoyed their exchanges. Um, there's some, there's some fun, funny dialogue here where, um, like where Winger's denying that she was going to do anything with Quaid. And he's like, we are gearing up for some world-class screwing. We are gearing up for something they haven't even come up with a word for yet. Try to, you know, hone in on that. But um, it's interesting. Like it's a weird little concept that's tiny in essence, but it makes it kind of interesting to drive this movie and make the characters more weird and quirky. But I thought, I thought this was a fun little thing, a movie I'll probably not return to, but I kind of enjoyed my time here. Aaron, what'd you think of this one? I think the issue is something that you left out because it's very notable. Um, Arliss Howard doesn't really have much charisma, and he's the lead character. No, oh, okay. Yeah. We talked a lot about Dennis Way <laughs> and Deborah Winger. The main guy in this movie, you've not mentioned at all. <laughs> and I think that's true. He's telling there I you go. Yeah. Now, obviously, there are two brothers. One of them's more big than the other, but you can mm-hmm. get actors that can still play small and be effective. All of that said, I agree with you, Brandon. I do like this movie more than Scott. I can't say it's amazing. No, it's, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's not like a music of chance or whatever that like caught me off guard as far as being like a weird little outlier. But it's also not. It's not as bad as like what's that? What was that Modine twin movie? Um, Equinox, <laughs> Equinox, uh, yeah, like because which is similar, like as far as it has a clear aesthetic it's going for, yeah, 
doesn't feel engaging. I was engaged by this because I like the quirkiness of it. Mm-hmm. Is there more you could have done within this world? Sure. But in a realm where I have two Firestarter movies that are bad, I'm happy I have one that's good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's nice that they like took that concept of what if we had people that did fire but like made it about like two we two like brothers that are rivals that's interesting to me and i can really feel the gilling the the gillianness of it um i think it's better explored honestly in the movie home fries that he would direct later on with luke wilson and jake Busey and drew barry i've actually never seen that and that movie i'm not gonna i haven't seen that in years I can't go to bat and say it's a secret like success that you don't know about or anything, but I do recall liking that movie quite a bit. And I believe it has two thumbs up if I'm not mistaken. Um, but that's a movie where his energy, what Gillig- Gilligan's bringing to like the writing or whatnot, it feels it's reflected on screen as far as having quirky characters and like strange going ons inside of what on the outside seems like a rom-com, but is actually like weirder and more about like sibling rivalry and stuff like that. Like, if you watch those movies back to back, you'd be like, oh, this is the same writer, clearly. Mm -hmm. So with this movie, yeah, it's certainly like exploring stuff with the, you know, the nature of these brothers and what they do. It feels like all of it's like two notches away from being like a much better feature. But Mm -hmm. I can't deny that I was engaged by just seeing something that was different. Even saying the title Wilder Napalm is like, what's that about? Like, I'm just curious. Yeah. They left me interested in the world that we're in compared to something like Equinox, which I mentioned, or House of Cards, like these other movies that have like ideas, but just don't leave me curious about them. Just make me more like, when are we getting out of here? This is like, I want to know more. Please give me more. And it doesn't quite give me all the right. what I want. still have enough where I'm like, I, I, I like what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, production design, costuming, like. It shoots things. There's like a photo booth scene that I really like how they they put it. It's a really quick scene, but they put it together really niftily. Jim Barney, um, like just yeah. the stuff, stuff in and, here. I mean, it's I mean, Glenn Gordon Karen's bringing like a lot of his moonlighting type energy here to this that could have been better. This should have been a really good team up. Um, and it's nice to see that Karen makes something that looks cinematic and not just oh, this is definitely a TV director. Um, it's definitely a step above that. Uh, with things but um no i like i i was trying i guess i went hard because scott sold it so low that i was like wait a minute there's some there's some good stuff here this is no house of cards um (laughs) the movie of scott's movie of the summer um clearly the line of fire can go straight to hell yeah yes uh but no it's it's definitely like yeah it's just a little quirky thing that when assigned for homework i'm like what is this you know and i'm like oh okay this is kind of Kind of nifty that that's a nifty thing I never knew existed. Um, am I not giving if I giving a high recommend? No. Um, but it's just it's 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 kind of funny that we don't know more that this existed. You know, it feels like this is a movie that it, it kind of feels like a proto Brian Fuller project a bit. Um, yeah, I can see that. And yeah, like it's I look for his name, it wasn't anywhere. I'm like, okay, this is like that thing where. You find out that, you know, uh, you watch Straight Time and then see that Michael Mann did some stuff on it. And you're like, oh, OK, yeah, it felt like a proto man movie. Uh, and that's what I think. But there's no. Yeah, kind of feels like a, a, a TV series would d- set around all this would probably make some sense. Um, but this movie works, too. But yeah, it's um, if you're curious and look for something odd, like I, I would say, give it a shot. I don't remember. I don't think it's very long either. Um, but there's some. It's nice, 109. 
Yeah, there's some nice moments to it. But yeah, there's there is something moving. Yeah, it's probably Arliss Howard could have made this much better. Some uh, who would play this that would be better? Cusack. That's an interesting kind of energy. Like that's something I could. That's see. not competing like doing the same thing. Like trying to keep it straight and not trying to that gets like, tangled up in Quaid. Like, believable as brothers, but it's like I don't know, like a Bashemi <laughs> like comes in here. <laughs> Some like yeah. character actor that like can play it small, but still like you're like compelled by what he what he is and as a counter to Quaid. Yeah. Hmm. Or you just like Randy. You know, <laughs> treat get all the other Harrison Ford. Um, oh God! Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I tried to. Yeah, I don't know who could do that. Yeah, he's a little. Yeah, he's too boring. Is what. Yeah, it doesn't call for. You know, he needs to be somewhat. Wow. Is Thomas Jane old enough? No. No. He's young at this point. He's young at this point. But I can't, like, if there's a bigger budget associated with the movie, I wonder what other name they're at. Because I, I can't, I have nothing against Arliss Howard. He's done other things that I do think he's interesting in. He's great in Mank from a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I, you know. Remember Mank? Yeah, Mank's Mank's. It totally Manked. Everybody's making around. Totally... <laughs> but, like, here's where I'm going with this. If in the bigger version of this movie, like Hanks, like could work in here, like as mm-hmm. the counter to Quaid, it's a movie that does not exist. But like that's that's a quarter, sort of like every man energy that you could get that could maybe make this a little more interesting to some degree. Yeah, it's amazing. Is what? Wait, are Howard and Winger are married, right? Yes, and she's got better chemistry with Quaid. In this... <laughs> well, they're playing it that way, right? <laughs> Also, the director I was looking up because he's done a few things, uh, mm-hmm. but he's mainly known for some TV stuff. Yeah, he's created a lot of TV. He's created a lot of TV, and he also he was involved in the Bull investigation on CBS with him and oh, okay his name and Alicia Duku. He uh, <laughs> he's not on the good side of that situation. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, not I mean it, stuff, but more for defending stuff, which is like all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, like, I mean, his big claim to fame, like, he was, you know, did he made Moonlighting. That was... Yeah, Moonlighting and what's Remi- the other Moonlighting, Remington Steel, Medium. 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 Yeah, yeah, that was his probably more, yeah. Yeah, so... Hmm. A, God, he's probably ridiculously wealthy. Yeah. When you make many, multiple seasons of network television that each runs for multiple seasons, you just rake in the dough. I mean, he he got he strained the moonlighting. That was a tough show to keep going in production, but they got it. They got it, kept it going. But yeah. But uh, you know, while we're on the topic of television, let's talk about the network ratings for this week. In it's a soft one. It works. Inspired by actual events, in 1985, a rookie cop went undercover to catch a serial killer. You can do this. I can't. The closer she got, the more attracted she was. The deeper she dug, the more deadly she became. Show me how you killed him. Stephen Weber, Helen Hunt, in the Company of Darkness, Tuesday. So, number one, Roseanne took the throne. That's the uh, prequel to... The Connors. The Connors. So for the kids listening. Uh, Number two, of course, the partner, Home Improvement on ABC. 
And then uh, 60 Minutes on CBS at number three, Primetime Live on ABC at number four, Coach on ABC at number five, as is ABC's 2020 at number six. Number seven, Murder, She Wrote on CBS. Now uh, we have a TV movie for our next spot. It is In the Company of Darkness, which is a new TV movie. Uh, I am intrigued. Starring Helen Hunt, Stephen Weber, Jeff Fahey, Margaret Travolta. And it is about, okay, after a after young policewoman, Gina Pulowski succeeds in handling a domestic fight particularly well. She's added to a small team of detectives assigned to a case of gruesome killings. She, provo- she proves herself to be worthwhile. Uh, reinforcement by tracking down the prime suspect, a disturbingly smart man named Kyle Timler. Much to the horror of her teammate and lover, Will McCade, Pulaski goes undercover to infiltrate Timler's life and trying to get as close to him as necessary to make him confess his crimes without even noticing it. A dangerous mission involving a process of growing identification with the killer, something that doesn't leave Pulaski unscathed. So that's a... In the Company of Darkness. I'm going to guess Jeff Fahey. Yeah, he plays the... Or Timler, that's the... Uh, Stephen Weber plays the killer, not Jeff Fahey. Interesting. So, I'll just suggest that. But that was uh, number eight that week. Number nine was Dateline on NBC. Scott, do you remember this one? It's a rerun. Number 10 is the rerunning of the second part of the thorn birds the 1983 miniseries were they literally celebrating his 10-year anniversary it looks like they were i Um, think that was like the second or third most watched miniseries of all yeah it was one of the biggest it was up there with roots Roots and north and south i think Mm -hmm. which was a patrick swayze starring civil i mean lots of other people too but uh civil war thing before ted turner did made it cool Right. Yeah. And this one, you know, uh, Thornbird starred Richard Chamberlain, Rachel Ward, uh, Christopher Plummer, Brett Cullen, Brian Brown, John DeLancey, Barry Corbin, Barbara Stanwyck, Gene Simmons, Ooh. Piper Laurie. Uh, lots of lots of people in this. I'll one. tell you, at my high school, everyone's going, holy shit. Did you watch the Thornbirds last night? Boy, They're true. finally re-airing that thing. <laughs> now I can see what my parents were always talking about. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, did you know the about the Thornbirds or is this the first time you'd heard of it? First time I've heard of it. Okay. Just that. I've heard of the Wild Thornberries. Okay. That's, That's a, a spinoff. Yeah. Yes. It's the kids' <laughs> version. I, 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 I did they have like a, because you're talking about like the, the second one or a follow up to it or whatever? No, this it, was no, the part two of them. There's a multi-part <laughs> miniseries, so this is the second part. Of me, a, so this is the second part. I do yeah. remember the third part. Rugrats meet the Thornbirds. There you go. Yes, that was more violent than I was expecting, but it was still pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> Rest in peace, Spike. <laughs> gotcha. So, all right. Uh, we, Dog died. That's the joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> smash that subscribe button. <laughs> As we as we make another crude joke, we'll go to another stakeout. How's that, Scott? Is that good? Why is there another steak? They already had a stakeout. We're gonna do another one. Another. Why? 
I like that. You don't need another one. Four years. Do you do you think like when they're talking like on the phone stuff about another stakeout? Like you want to do an uh, so uh, we're thinking about doing another stakeout. Be like like That's another it? movie, another movie, or or the script you sent me. The, the, Ruba, we talking people, about? the Ruba people sitting there were like. We're gonna do another stakeout. I don't know what to call it. What that's that's it right there. <laughs> but worked for forty eight hours, didn't it? It uh, did not. Yeah, you know that that we really needed the third one so we, ha- we could have like another another stakeout, another Godfather, another or a stakeout ellipsis again. Oh, <laughs> uh, one more stakeout. Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez are on another stakeout disguised as father and son. Uh, Daddy, don't start with that. And with their new partner, Rosie O'Donnell. I can use some help up here, please. Help your mother. They're becoming the perfect family. Did you know that you were illegitimate? Thank God. Now, if they can just get their story straight. This is my husband. Chris. Another stakeout. I'm his son from his first marriage, but uh, mom's dead. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, July 23rd. Directed by John Badham, written by. I'll always know what you stake out. (laughs) (laughs) Nowadays, it would be stakeout resurgence. Yeah. Stakeout legacy. (laughs) That's what they do. Um, Stakeout in the big balloon adventure. Always on brand. (laughs) Written by Jim Coop. Uh, starring Richard Dreyfus, Emilio Estevez, Summer O'Donnell, it's Rosie, uh, Dennis Farina, Marcia Strassman, Kathy Moriarty, John Rubenstein, Miguel Ferrer, and Sharon Malhan. Two immature detectives are joined by a pesky assistant district attorney and staking out a lakeside home where a mafia trial witness is believed to be heading. All right, quick thoughts. First stakeout, Aaron. On first stakeout? First stakeout. Original stakeout. Okay, so I don't... If I had seen these movies, it's in pieces. Um, so I, I don't think I've ever seen them in full. And I, to the point where I didn't know what kind of movie it was exactly, mm-hmm. as far as what if it was a buddy action comedy or if it was like a parody. And I think it's because my mind is like meshed together both stakeout and um loaded weapon one because Emilio's in both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think my mind has always considered it all to be like one giant spoof thing. So what I didn't realize is that another or that stakeout is just like it's just a solid buddy cop comedy. Uh similar to like running scared where it's like, you know, it's not like it's not lethal weapon because it's not like epic, however you want to phrase yeah. it. You know, yeah. It's more like casual. It's like a casual buddy cop. I call it uh comedy suspense movies. Sure. Okay. So that's kind of a term. I was like, yeah, there's kind of comedy suspense because they're not like big action or anything. But yeah, and it's not like 48 hours where it's like genre defying or anything. Like yeah, that. it's just like it exists in like this pocket of hey, these guys are popular. Let's put them together. So like, I watched Stakeout, um, which I enjoyed. I thought it was a solid movie. It has mm-hmm. a good share of action actually, which I was surprised about. I like the chemistry between Stripes, uh, Stripes and, but between um Dreyfus and Estevez. Mm-hmm. And like the like it's a, you know it's a I I was curious that Dreyfus like is very, very much like the lead and the driving force in that including being the romantic lead in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> like Estevez. Emilio's the like he's the yeah, glover yeah. of the group. That's the yeah. funniest yeah. thing. It's yeah. Pri- it, which is like I guess that's interesting by default because you wouldn't necessarily expect that to the point where they put Emilio <laughs> with like you know a silly mustache for the movie and then this second movie is like well now we'll shave off the mustache. Both of them, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's something I didn't see coming. I didn't think that you know you'd obviously you'd think you'd emphasize the Brat Pack star and not necessarily yeah. is which makes me wonder either if that was his demand or just like that's what we're trying to go for because it's wild. Uh, do you want just steak out or do you want, go ahead, just steak out? Just steak out. Uh, so yeah, I enjoyed it. I for a movie that I either have not seen ever or haven't seen in many 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 years, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. All right, Scott, did you revisit um, it or? I had seen it years and years and years and years and years ago. And it always felt to me like, okay, this film is why people were so knocked out by Lethal Weapon. And it's not necessarily a criticism, but it was, you know, it was, as Aaron said, it's a, you know, fairly smaller scale action buddy picture that isn't, you know, Lethal Weapon. Um, Watching it again, the same thing. It's the solid, well-made buddy picture. The romantic melodrama is convincing. I buy the fact that Richard Dreyfus ends up with Madeline Stowe, which is a testament to the movie, frankly. And it is violent when it needs to be, but it's not over the top. There's actually very little on-screen killing, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. A lot of people can understand why they would pivot to PG-13 for the next one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. there's menace and there's beatings and there's you know threats of peril, but there's you know it's not a huge body count. Um, it's another one of those movies where you know the big action finale is that the cop shoots the bad guy, and that by itself is a big deal because he's not the kind of cop that runs around killing people. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Aiden Quinn. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who is suited? You know, it's, he's he's an you know he's an R-rated villain in a PG. Th- you know, it's it's well, no, it's an R-rated movie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first one's R. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's sort of the forty-eight hours thing where you have these these you know the the the, the heroes are somewhat lighter and joshier, but the villains just you know a ruthless badass like Jimmy Smith and Running Scared. Exactly. Yeah. Which to be fair I like a lot more than this but what really rocks like it's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. one that I think it's like this weird happy medium where again it's not huge like Lethal Weapon but it feels pretty big for that point in time. It's also really I mean the, the elevator jump yeah. at the end is astonishing. Yeah. There's it's a really good chi- Chicago movie too. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the best Chicago movies. Yeah, I mean yeah. I, I liked it then, I like it now, it's fine. Yeah, no. And again, pop culture wise, I just I think it's interesting artifact that it happened to come out like a month before Lethal Weapon. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I I like Aaron. Like I know I saw the second one, but I can't remember if I ever like saw the whole first one before. Um, but you know, watching it, it's I get a gush over Madeline Stowe for two hours, and then um, it felt like you know that's that screenplay where like the money saving tactic of keeping minimal places, but like really focusing on the dialogue to keep it going. It, it was like that. Um, but I felt like it was one of the coolest things about the, the movie. And I mean, as a compliment, it feels like that movie that like that theatrical movie that oh, I missed it, but you got it on a rental and it felt like a really good movie you rented. But if you saw it in the theater, it might not have been as good. I don't know. It's that movie you missed at the theater, but you picked it up the week it came out at like Blockbuster or something like it was on the new release. Thing. Oh, yeah, that stakeout movie. That's right. Um, and you picked it up and Dreyfus and Estevez work well together. Um, it has rival cops. It has all right. the tropes. Yeah. It has, like, yeah. The rival cop team with Forrest Whitaker and the other guy. Yep. Got an angry captain. It's so trope heavy. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's an enjoyable little movie. Like if you ever find it, seeing it like it's currently not free, not part of any subscription service, but if it is, oh, stakeout. 
check it out. Watch it's it's rather long for what it is, but yeah. like it still works. And there's some good I like I say comedy suspense uh, that'll carry over to this film of like one guy's in a room watching the other and seeing all the stuff happen, and you're like boom boom, and you kind of get on you get this like comedic edge of your seat uh, feeling about them getting caught. So now we move on to another stakeout, which comes like why is there another stakeout many Daddy years had later a stakeout they did but it was so fun they'd have another um they shot this movie january through april of 93 wow. and then it's out in july which can, first class wow can you imagine how the social media people would feel like <laughs> the, the stakeout stands be like doomed they're rushing it but here we are uh aaron how'd you feel about the second stakeout largely the same which yeah. i was surprised by but delightfully surprised by like yeah neither of these are you know going home you know you know high high acclaim and awards but mm-hmm. like they are entirely serviceable films i continue to like the chemistry between these guys um i i liked rosie o'donnell's energy in this movie like she's fun without being like, like it's obviously she's trying she's supposed to be like annoying in the same way like joe pesci's supposed to be annoying in lethal weapon but like not in a way where you're you want less of them. They fit within this, you know, situation that they've set up, which I appreciated. I'm always down for more of Dennis Farina. So, you know, and especially him being irate. So yeah, give me that. That's that's fun. Um the, the movie has a surprisingly like huge explosion at the beginning, which got me up. Yeah, it is gigantic. Yeah. It <laughs> is it is new blood going. big. Yeah. So it's, it's like so it, at first it convinced me it's like is this gonna be like a bigger action movie and it's like it's not really like that's really like their pinnacle of action and then after they settle for you know misunderstanding comedy for the rest of the that's movie. where the profits of the first movie went pretty much right <laughs> it's like even the end which they edited like the, the end looks like clearly edited from whatever r rating they had it's like it's a little bit too bloody but if we move around some of these shots pg-13 yeah um but it's it's fine because again I don't think the, the tone of this movie doesn't suggest like you need adults to see this only it's like it's it's a fun romp for what it's doing um I, <laughs> I it's weird like I get like Madeline Stowe was like what busy like filming bad girls and yep. stuff it's like I like that they didn't just like fridge her um I like that they tried to create a narrative around why she would and which makes sense because they're on a stakeout so why would she be like around often Right. But I like the movie just doesn't like casually throw her away. I like that that's a part of the plot that there's strife between these two people. And they I, don't dump her and have him get with Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, in the he doesn't like find a yeah. new love interest. Yeah. They don't murder her and he has to find the fucking gangsters that got her or something. It's just like, no, they're having troubles. Also, we have a job to do. So it's like, that's fine for what it is. Um, and yeah, they shave their mustaches. So I'm going to get that going for you. Gotcha, Scott. Uh, pretty much the same. I appreciated that that Madeline Stowe was still around in a way that made sense. Although, again, you know, as a, a you know, if Madeline Stowe wants to marry you, you fucking marry her, you moron. <laughs> but anyway, it was another movie that that you know, from an R rated to a PG thirteen. Yet, I would argue it was more violent than the predecessor, in, you know, in terms of on screen body count and what have you. Um, but it is a lighter tone in terms of you know, it's not as brutal and intense. You know, it's more Caper action, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Um, the cast is really fun. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Frina is yeah. having a grand old time here. Um, I, I, God, his name escapes me as I'm looking at the cast list to buy myself some time. Miguel Ferrer. Thank you. Miguel Ferrer, the late Wouldn't great. Miguel Ferrer. 
And uh, yes, it's it's you know he's wonderful as sort of the primary antagonist here, and to the point where I don't think Dreyfus and Estevez are all that remarkable here, and that's not even so much a criticism. It's just whatever. we've been there and done that, yeah, yeah. But the the character actor supporting cast almost carries the show. I could give or take how Rosie O'Donnell is used here, but she is certainly in her element. This is the kind of stuff that she was very good at in the nineties. But do I think it's as good as the first one? No, but I don't think it's aggressively worse. Gotcha. That, yeah, I'm like half a star under this. this yeah. yeah. Well, this is, I mean, this is Summer O'Donnell. This is her coming off of League of Their Own, cashing in and breaking out with because she had Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, the next year, she'd have Car 54 and the Flintstones, and then that classic Dan Aykroyd comedy, East Exit to Eden, the following year. Um, no comment. And yeah. these are these are John Badham movies, right? Like, it, yeah, both these are both these both two are both John. Of he came back. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't, said, I haven't said my piece on Stakeout yet. I need to do another one. Yeah, I and with Rosie O'Donnell's character, that there's a thing I like about her is that like she has a competency in this movie. They in this movie to the point of where her overconfidence dips into her inexperience, which gets her into trouble. And she's not treated as stupid. It's just like, oh, now she's finally out of her element. She was able to coast on something um, a certain way. And they let her take a shot um, rather than trying to over-dramatize Estevez or uh, right. Dreyfus uh, so much. So they actually handle her quite well. And she mixes well. And as mentioned before, Farina is my favorite part of this movie. He's just so yeah. like, there's something like so normal, funny about him that, that works. And one of my favorite, like I'll never, so another stakeout, I'll never forget uh, this movie. Cause we, I didn't see it in the theater, but we rented it when it came out um, watching with my parents and my dad and I had like, huge laughs to when he like hurried up and ate the ice cream to have the ice cream sandwich and gave himself the headache. And that, that's hilarious. And I love them putting together the ice cream and the, the idea that both know something's yeah. going on and trying to, Oh, this is a really good dessert. Yeah, I'll get you the recipe. And so that that's some funny stuff right there. <laughs> it's just, they have ice cream sandwiches and they just take off the top layer and it's like, <laughs> Whatever we made dessert, <laughs> trying to do it like yeah, um, yeah. Just this Farina, Farina is great. The Farina is a, like the kind of guy who, if he gives you a look, it can be somehow both terrifying and hilarious at the same right. time. Right? Yeah, I've <laughs> I've always felt that nobody. Oh, this is a PG thirteen movie, so it doesn't really apply. But nobody says the f word funnier than Dennis Farina. Oh yeah, no, he's good, and I I feel like nobody figures this out or uses utilizes him in film like this in this way till like Richie again in snatch. Yeah. Like, no, I feel no, like, no, 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 Get oh, shorty. Get oh, shorty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's get shorty. Okay. Yes. Forgot about that one. Uh, yeah. I forgot about he's, he's as, bo- as was the bones. Um, mm-hmm. But no, he is perfect. And I hear, I hear the yeah. fucking sun says the fucking re- the fucking smog is the reason the fucking sun says yes in fucking LA. <laughs> uh, so there, there is so the, the opening I forgot. I'm like, what is what? I don't remember this movie getting this big with the action. Like, I it, it's huge. And then the, the the overall story here is less personal than the first one. Like the first one, yeah. There's the Madeline Stowe character that gets. Dreyfus involved and it causes a thing with the partner relationship in his career. There's none of that here. And they try to, the Stowe stuff is kind of what they hope to hook us on with it, but it's more just procedural work. So there's less emotional stakes attached to the mission, which is, that's fine. Um, but I just, I noticed that was a big 
big drop between the first two. Um, but they do have some funny stuff. The three have like fun together, and I uh, like the uh, Emilia says nobody calls me Ed McMahon. That was a that was a good one. And then they have a conversation about Ren and Stimpy, to which Jarvis like, you know, this is the end of Western civilization as we know. So and it was. this one has that when they're doing like uh, like quoting things that he says yeah. this was a quoting accident, and then Breacher Drive's like, well, I don't know that one. That made me laugh. That was <gasps> that's that's too stupid of a joke, but I'm still like, right, ah, that got me. That's good. Yeah, um, yeah, no, this it's a lot of fun. We it didn't result, you know, it didn't you know end up with another another stakeout stakeout the third. Um, Bring it back now. Unless is Steak Land sort of a spinoff of. Stake I mean, out. it's been wildly rumored. Yes. Okay. Stake out. Yeah. Do but, it now. They're all alive. Yes. Put Dreyfus and Estevez together with O'Donnell. There we go. Bring back Ferrer. He like survived the pool death. He's a, he's, you know, what I like about oh, he's, he, he's like, a, he is dead. he's a super intense contrast to every person in this film. Oh yeah. Cause like, he has it's, yeah. look. <laughs> Like when they saw when I saw oh, his voice too. Watching, when I saw the cast watch like going into this movie, thinking, "Oh, so Dennis Farina is the bad guy? <laughs> he's right. not. He's just no. like the next door neighbor." <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, I I do. Yeah, I do enjoy this one quite a bit. And I, it was nice to go back and and revisit this one. I hadn't seen it probably since back then, but you know, parts of it stay with me. And I think I mixed in a couple like. Yeah, I did see Exit to Eden. I think I mixed in some thoughts with that because I thought the ice cream headache thing happened outside at like a pool party. Did not. Did not. Um, but yeah, I no. do. There's like an extended bit where Emilio's like taped to a tied to a chair and like his mouth is duct taped and everything. Uh-huh. And uh, we have a new mentor, Kathy Moriarty, who's like the witness they're trying to like yes. look. It's always interesting because she doesn't she doesn't do a lot like her. She doesn't have a huge filmography. So it's like, no, it's pop- weird. Like there's Raging Bull and then Finder and stuff, you know, like it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's like it's like and it's red. It's like this in Casper. Mm-hmm. And like, among other, it's like, OK, but like when but when he's all taped up and everything, I like the suspense it draws out of that as far yeah. as. Yeah, like to the point where he's almost executed by her on a dock. It's like, oh, this this is gonna keep going. Yeah, right. Adam's really good at these little these suspense sequences he tosses here in the middle of these. Like, I yeah, definitely. Like the first one has a few of them, and I mean, it's not like well, the, a lot of it's like, oh well, don't let Madeline Stowe catch you on the phone, um, or bugging the phone or whatever. And here is Emilio sneaking over and getting wet. Like it's it's classic, you know, stakes building, screenwriting stuff here i like but yeah no i was it's a solid movie this is this is the solid three star pictures that they don't have to be the greatest thing in the world and no they're not awful because they're not like great you know that's we can live by these and like i said both of these epitome of like great missed it in the theater but got it to it first week of rentals i really think so so yeah all right. Well, uh, with no no clever segue, we'll move on to Casey Kasem's top forty, the ten for it. Casey's biggest hits. We have a new number one this week. Oh boy. Uh, can't, can't help falling in love by UB forty from the film that we all loved, Sliver. Um, number two, Week by SWV. Who was cranking out hits? They appear, they'll appear in this three times in the summer with different songs, even hitting number one a couple times. Uh, number three is Whoop. There it is, my tag team. 
Um, I, I will also say at some point here, woot, there it is, charts close to the top 10, but not the or but not in there. I think it peaked at like 14, but that was a competition. Well, that was the original people claim the original song. There was like a lawsuit or something about it that there was, <laughs> of course there, was. there it is, and whoop, there it is. So Sticky situation. Um, number four, that's the way love goes. Janet stays right there. Uh, Knocking the boots by H Town does the same at number five. Number six, show me love by Robin S. Climbing up one, uh, debuting in the top top ten at number seven. Slam! Da 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 da. da. Yeah. <laughs> Onyx is here. Onyx, sticky fingers and the boys at number seven. At number eight, I'll never get over you getting over me by X Expose. Number nine, I'm staying there. I'm going to be 500 miles by Proclaimers. And number 10, falling four spots. Rod Stewart, have I told you lately? All right. And now uh, we will move on to Coneheads. Paramount Pictures proudly announces a world event. The premiere of an epic motion picture. The arrival of a family unlike any you've ever known. Uh, Coneheads, coming to your neighborhood this summer. Starts Friday, July 23rd at Theaters Everywhere. Directed by Steve Barron. Who directed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Damn straight. Love that. He, he rocks. Written by Tom Davis, Dan Aykroyd, and Bonnie Turner. Starring Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, Robert Knott, Michael Richards, Eddie Griffin, Sinbad, Phil Hartman, Adam Sandler, David Spade, Michael Ke- Michael McKean, uh, Drew Carey, Jason Alexander, Parker Posey, Joey Lauren Adams, Ellen DeGeneres, Jan Hooks, Chris Farley, Kevin Nealon, Julia Sweeney, Todd Sussman, Garrett Morris, Dave Thomas, Lorraine Newman, Tim Meadows, Tom Arnold, and John Lovitz. Aliens with conical crania crash land on Earth. So this one's definitely got great That's, it. That's the whole plot description. <laughs> yeah, that was it. So this one obviously got greenlit and fast-tracked with Wayne's World success. Like, this should have came after Blues Brothers or something, but... They just know. couldn't find the, the story that needed to be told. I mean, what's a sketch we have that we know is, like, let's get... Or maybe Or maybe Lauren was like, well, Dan has that Coneheads movie he's been wanting to, and people will just go see an SNL character now. So there you go. But, I mean, what else? There was, there was Wayne's World at the time... What else would they have made like of the current cast before? Ladies Man. No, no, Ladies Man wasn't that, yet. That's later. Of the that's current, later. Yeah, yeah. Of the, uh, like the early 90s. What, what cat- could have been here? Like Myers well, had. Hans and Franz, right? That'd be the other thing. There was a Hans and Franz movie that all I know is there's a story like Conan O'Brien, Kevin Nealon, uh, David Spade, and I forget, Schmeigel maybe got hold up in a hotel for like a weekend to try to crank out a movie script and it just wasn't working out to do a Hans and Franz movie. Um there's the church lady. Can make a movie movies. off that. There's <laughs> there's there's Michael Myers like for Klimt, the whatever what they call it talk, but the, nothing I think would let coffee it. talk. Coffee talk, yeah. With Lynn Richmond. Um and, and Streisand just doing this movie. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. 
but th- I'm trying to think of the characters, like where you go. I mean, we, I don't even think Farley had some of his signature ones at this point. So I guess this is where you go while you're waiting for Wayne's World 2 and to figure out other things. But uh, here we are. So, Scott, why did you find Coneheads to be, quote, a minute to minute laugh riot? Uh, I didn't say that. I heard you say it. I, I yeah. didn't say yeah. I didn't say that. Scott's uh, quietly laughing, uh, hiding the fact that he actually did right now. You can't, if you can't see this. Lies! <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at me. It's not true. All right. So, go no, ahead. Um, this, it's weird because, you know, every once in a while, justifiably, you get, you know, discourse articles about you know why are there no Saturday Night Live movies anymore and there's a multitude of reasons for that but there are only about a dozen of them and of those films only Blues Brothers and Wayne's World are what I would consider or what I would be considered to be absolute successes the others were either slight underperformers or outright bombs including this one which spoiler made 22 million on a 33 budget um i think this one was probably greenlit after rain's world partially because they figured okay it's an appealing concept to kids too because mm. they're goofy alien characters that have goofy alien adventures um, it's not something that that necessarily requires you to understand the, the SNL characters and the sketches. Um, as far as I mean, it's 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 barely a comedy in terms of the screenplay. It's just a relatively boring, generic movie that's supposed to be funny because the characters participating in it look kind of weird and talk weird. Uh, the one, the two things that I find there. Excuse me, I'm about to yawn. <laughs> the three nice things I will say about the movie, and I forgot them already. No, uh, the three nice things I will say about the movie is that it is fascinating to watch because it's got like every fucking Saturday Night Live cast member in the history of the universe. It's got, no, it's no. populated by all the young current yeah. cast SNL, not the ones that were around with Coneheads, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, uh, past, Bear present, Boris and future. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, you know, and again, this, you know, this was 30 years ago and this was no big deal, but you know, again, it was nice to have a no big deal studio picture that such, takes such a hard line on immigrants are good actually. Um that is refreshing especially in today's standards. Uh, the other thing is it was kind of neat seeing Chris Farley as like a puppy love interest where that fact isn't made isn't treated with mockery. Mhm. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he's a sex symbol in this picture, but the idea of him being into the teenage daughter of, you know, the teenage daughter isn't in itself. Ha ha. It's funny because it's Chris Farley and he's he's big and he's sloppy, whatever. He's a perfectly normal guy. And they have just a little bit of chemistry. Um, other than that, the movie's a waste of time. Um, it's not particularly funny. It's not particularly clever. The cameos are only interesting in hindsight. I mean, I guess it might be better than some of the other SNL movies because it's not aggressively painful. That's another thing is that, you know, most of these movies weren't very good. No. You know, no, nobody fights for It's Pat or Night at the Roxbury. I mean, McGruber <laughs> no, has they a fan do. base. No, Roxbury's got Roxbury's fans. Yeah, well, they're wrong, but that's okay. No, I would um, say they were right, but it, there is a... Stuart Saves His Family is interesting because it's actually a halfway decent drama. That's the damn one I was thinking about. Yeah. That, that Which happened. is, I mean... And it's Pat. Happened, I'm not, yeah. not going to sit here and say it's good, but even when it came out in 1995, it's like this is a film that takes 
self-help and therapy seriously it's in a, a way that shocked me. Al Franken's like, he, he, there's something there he's trying for, but the movie itself can't like figure yes. that out. Mm-hmm. But again, I mean, Blues Brothers 2000 is terrible. Uh-huh. Uh, I like Wayne's World 2, but it was not a success. Yep. I'm still not sure why, because I mean, most people like the first one. I mean, I would argue that Adam's Family Values was a you know Tomb Raider trap situation where the first Adam's Family really wasn't very good, but it was a huge hit because of how it was promoted and and you know the 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 interest in the property. But people liked Wayne's World. Wayne's World was a phenomenon, like it, yeah, Queen, all that. It was a monster hit, and it was pretty good. Yeah, and I. It's been a while, but I remember Wayne's World 2 being about as good. Yeah, well, Wayne's World is probably like the pinnacle, like with Blues Brothers is the best yes. of SNL movies. And Wayne's World 2, I would put above damn near every. <laughs> yeah, I mean, movie. you know, if I'm, I'm, I'm ranking these. It's Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, and maybe McGruber, and then Blues Brothers, and then everything else. Yeah. And Coneheads is basically one of those everything else's. Ooh. Aaron, what'd you laugh at at Coneheads? I mean, a lot, because I'm going to be far more charitable. I would say it's the best of the everything else um, in a world where I do. I mean, Blues Brothers is a legit classic, it, like legit great. Uh, like, I like Wayne's World. I'm not like I didn't grow up with it in the same way that I think a lot of people around my age did. So, like, it's just not as high for me. But, like, I certainly like the movie. It's certainly obviously better than others just because of the writing being by default clever. And then MacGruber rocks. I mean, I mean, this is end of period, end of sentence. So like this one, it's like, yeah, it's ahead of a lot of the other ones because they're just complete junk. This just this is a kitchen sink movie. It's just shoving so much at you. Where like, good enough of it sticks for me compared to like the ladies' man or it's Pat, which are just like these dreadful things that I'm like, oh boy, like we we saw the dailies and we said yes, this is good and working. We should keep going. <laughs> um, Coneheads, I think they're in addition to having so many cast members of like, hey, it's that person doing that line and then they're gone. But at least that was funny. It also has an endearing quality to it that I quite enjoy. I like that there's something of an arc for Aykroyd as far as learning to love the planet he happened to crash upon. I think there's enough there that makes that work, given that it's about a family and that he learns to whatever. Like, it's very slight, but I still think there's enough there. The thing I was surprised by revisiting this, because I've seen it plenty of times back in the day when it was on TV all the time or whatnot, Jane Curtin has, like, nothing to do in this movie, which right. is like... Huh. She was half of the team. She's half the team, and I'm like, there's not. They don't give her anything. Like that's kind of a shame because Shane Curtin is a funny lady. Like that's you know that's why why she have like three scenes and like Dan Aykroyd, but it's Dan Aykroyd who quite likes to be in control of things. I agree with you, Scott, about Chris Farley. I, I and that's again, I think part of the, the quality of this movie. I think a lot of the other SNL movies tend to have a mean streak to them, or tend to have things where the characters are the butt of the jokes because something horrible happens to them. And that's not really the case in this movie. I th- I like that it relies, it's, you know, a lot of situational based stuff as far as put this awkward person into this situation, but like everyone likes the cone heads. Like they're, 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 they're liked, they're a liked family mm-hmm. and they put, they add to society, which makes it an interesting case for like an immigrant study, especially nowadays. Like that is a, there's something a little subversive and progressive and ahead of its time about that. I can't go to bat and say like Coneheads is just like it's far ahead of its time and we should be used as a a symbol in, in the realm of cinema as what we should be striving for. 
But for a movie that has so such low stakes as far as what it's trying to accomplish, I think there's a lot of personality going on there. And again, a likable movie goes a long way for me. If you don't laugh, you don't laugh. That's you know whatever. I I laughed, so like mm-hmm. I can't be against that. Like it made it made me smile. And also for a movie called Coneheads, that's this movie. It has a pretty solid stop motion creature fight in the end of it, where I'm like, this is pretty cool looking movie monster. <laughs> that's uh, that that won me over. So. I, I I I don't like hate this movie by any means. I I'm not gonna go and say like oh SNL really lost its way after Coneheads, but I mean it's fine. Like it didn't didn't gotcha. just rub it the wrong way. I, I didn't think it was like a chore or anything, but I was just like I wasn't really laughing much. I I do think my favorite thing. It's also really short. That also yeah, helps. that helps. <laughs> um, my favorite things about like I the people that were making me get like Farley, Spade, and McKean were making me giggle. Uh, yeah, quite a bit. They were they were all pretty good. Like Farley, you know low-key way compared to what people probably think of him like he had some shit where he was like in the cop car at the back like making some just his reactions were hilarious um reminded me of like oh my gosh i used to love this guy um doing so spade's doing his thing but man spade doing his thing is is great um all the time and mckean's doing the stuff that it feels oddly like you could put this guy in a a movie today and it worked just the same like that's bad uh, it's <laughs> for humanity that we could yeah. we could do that oh it's um, you say we, 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 regr- we regressed I mean, <laughs> right. it used to be like here and then yeah i i do um i i, I like sandler and his one little scene at the table he was yeah. he was crushing it um and that's what that's the thing. We're here to see Aykroyd and Curtin, but everybody else around them's way better. Um, there's, some, there's some subtle stuff with Jason Alexander that I liked when oh, yeah. trying to keep his two like his whole goal is keep the toupee on my head. Right. I keep doing stuff where it's like maybe gonna blow it off. And there's this little like physical stuff that I enjoy. Yeah. I, I will say like Wayne's World propelled this into here, but had this waited like two months after this movie comes out, the X Files premieres. And I can't wonder if having that be a part of the pop culture lexicon could have helped this movie modernize or better fit or do some better things. If X-Files would have been around for a bit. The only Um, caveat I'll say is it took the X-Files a while to become a mainstream success. True. Everybody knew what it was like. Everyone wasn't watching yet, but they kind of had an idea. Um, So I have to wonder if that couldn't have helped somewhat. Well, they probably thought the way Fox did is like, oh, there's a surefire hit on Fridays in Fox this year. Bruce Campbell's Briscoe County Jr. Right. Part Bond, part Indiana Jones. 100% (laughs) cool. Right. Um, Yeah. Uh, It's mm, it has a cool Red Hot Chili Pepper song in there. And there was did you notice where they were flying away or the space they had a like very close to ripping off the Beetlejuice theme? In yeah, there. it's a movie that's like, oh, like, hey, didn't do the score, but what if he did? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the kind of vibe that I got from it a lot. It was like, boom, 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 boom. I was like, oh, are they going to do the mm, slightly? Uh, but yeah, it is really weird. It goes to their home planet and like that CG or not CG, the claymation stop mo- or clay stop motion monster or something I didn't remember for this movie. <laughs> and I was like, that's weird. It took this turn, but. I always remember because I always remember Dave Thomas going, and it's like, okay, I guess we're going to do a thing now. I remember him handing Dave Thomas the condom and telling him it's gum. I remember, I remember that scene from this movie. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's it's obviously too late, but I think Coneheads was still on people's mindset. They're like right 
right at this time, because the 80s didn't really produce an SNL to rival the originals. There was the Lauren Michael absent years, the Piscopo years. Um, there's the, the Eddie Murphy thing. Huh? The best years, some call them. The best years. But right then, they were hitting, they were getting really hot with Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, uh, Kevin Nealon, Spade, Sandler. They were starting to come in. And this was the time where you first heard, oh, it was better back in the 70s. It was better back then. Like, and I get so tired of the fucking argument with SNL that I even, I even had a conversation with someone at work this week. It used to be better back. I'm like, you know what they said back in the nineties that it was better in the seventies. <laughs> you know what they said in the OOs that it was better in the nineties. You know what they said in the tens that was better in the OOs. And then, well, it's just so political now. It has always been political. <laughs> You're just on the other side of the making. Well, actually, SNL actually has done a very good job of balancing over the years i'm surprised at how well they've done they have let cast members play their hand a bit at certain times in the recent years in a defining way of of making a statement but like it's always like then went and joked about the other side a bunch like it has been fair fair game like on everything like it's not i think part of it is that they you know during the quote unquote Trump years, I think they knew that's how you got social media attention. That's how you got, you know, aggregation. And I do remember the first few shows after the 2020 election, there seemed to be a visible sigh of relief that they didn't have to carry that burden anymore. Yeah. Um, and there were several shows that were not apolitical, but they were just, they were much more just, let's just do funny sketches. Yeah. We don't have to set the tone for the public debate and or a tone for possibly playing a part in the hell that we accidentally created kind of situation. Um, but yeah, no. uh, yeah, the same way this, you know, again, I always say about the Simpsons is mm-hmm. like, you know, is the Simpsons as good as it was in, you know, season six? No. Is it, uh, you know, making a, an impact in the pop culture the way it did in the 90s? No. But it's still pretty damn good week in and week out. Well, it's just most of most of the people aren't they they're saying this, but they're also not watching or they tuned into one episode. And just like in the old days, a sketch or two were, you know, there's like one or two solid sketches in that week. Yeah. Like that's, it's I always mean, been that way. Hulu is wonderful. You, if the sketch is really bad after two minutes, this isn't funny. You fast forward it and you move on to the next one. That's why, you, you know, you watch the 70 episode. Like, obviously there's highlights, but an hour and change watching old 1970 Saturday Night Live is there's a lot of stuff that you just don't really tune into to be that again. Well, it's, it's I grew up watching this time. You don't get the relevancy or in the yeah. moment stuff. And but. I grew up watching reruns on Nick at Night. There were 30 minutes of pop. So basically I was getting the best of the best. But 30 minutes or the like E had our episodes too yeah. of uh, other things as well. But like, yeah, it's it's um, always been that way. It's just like the comedy has evolved. It's different now. You got to get on its wavelength. Yeah, it's it's so funny when people say that. I'm just like, shut the fuck up. Like some years are good, some years are bad. Some episodes are good, some episodes are bad, etc. Yeah. etc. Sometimes what they have that we not named. <laughs> What's the one that we've left out because it's clearly the worst of the bunch? Of what? Of the, the movie? Oh gosh. Um well I, I want to be clear that I we're not counting mean girls in this. We're talking about sketches that became Oh yeah, that's that's not um, anything about mean girls. That no. would be the best by default, but you know, it doesn't count. Um any more than like pop star. Superstar. Superstars Oh yeah, that's probably what yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's so what, Coneheads would be followed by Wayne's World 2. 
Then it's Pat. Then Stuart saves his family. Then Blues Brother 2000. Then Night the Roxbury. Then Superstar. Then Ladies Man. And then a long break until in years, which then bombs despite getting pretty decent buzz out of the South by Southwest and getting solid reviews. And again, I'm not unsympathetic because I I think it's sort of a, you know, it leads into a broader conversation. You know, why are there no SNL movies becomes why are there no live action comedies in theaters? And that's a more complicated conversation, although Mm -hmm. they're trying this year. They really are. And that's hopefully by the time this recording is done, I'll actually finish that damn post. I started it like a month ago. It gets triaged for other stuff. But anyway. Well, here you um, go. So uh, of the SNL movies, Wayne's World has the highest Rotten Tomatoes score. Blues Brothers has the highest Metacritic score. Uh, and Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2 have the highest cinema score at A-. No, I, I think there's a genuine quality gap. What do you think? And yes, I lowest? think in what retrospect, you, what do you, think you are correct. That Coneheads is the best of the rest. It's Pat. It's yeah. Pat is zero percent easily, <laughs> not no question. <laughs> and neither the Roxbury and Ladies Man are next with eleven. That sounds about right. Yeah. Roxbury's got some moves. That's all I can say. <laughs> I can't. I can't say anything for the others. Yeah, no, Roxbury's good. It's got some moves. Yeah, MacGruber only had forty-eight percent Rotten Tomatoes, forty-three Metacritic, and a C minus Cinema Score. You got it wrong, world. <laughs> well, one because it's it got a TV series. <laughs> I mean, like, that's true. That's true. That nobody watched because it's on Peacock, and that exactly. produces good things that nobody watches because it's a weirdly advertised network. <laughs> it is a weirdly advertised network. Coming soon, the Netflix sensation Girls Five Emma. So okay, but yeah, that's a bit of a SNL tangent. Uh, we'll go on to a different kind of tangent as we hear. Yancey's Tales from the Video Store. It has more than 109,000 members and 35,000 movie selections. You come in here and get just about any movie you wanted to and some you never see someplace else. Delmar Video is going out of business turning off the lights at the store on the city's north side. The Blu-rays are the first to go. People really like those. In an everything-must-go sale. This is my family's business. It's hard to close a family business. When Delmar first opened, it was a hardware and tool rental store. But by the late 80s, the tools were out and the movies were in. And ever since, the video store has become a staple for many across the Summit City. I just want to talk about my favorite. I want to spotlight my favorite. I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, so not the experience of Los Angeles. But we had this vid- we had this video store that was just a cut above the rest and only closed like two years ago called Del Mar Video. And this was in this, it wasn't like downtown or far away, but my parents would never take me to it. And Delmar, you had a membership. And the cool thing about the Delmar video was you got a card that looked like a driver's license. You had your, you got a photo ID and you went in and they had everything. So if there was like a special edition thing of something, they had it. Uh, They had a huge porn section, of course. And when I turned, (laughs) yeah, they had a huge porn section, of course, but they had like everything, like anything that came out, they had it. So when you know most video stores oh we have alien already but like when the collector's edition blue dvd came out delmar had it nobody else carried it you know like i could see the director's cut of aliens finally when that came out there but when i turned 18 years old that was the first place i went and of course i was also 18 double whammy ordered i got porn 
rented porn <laughs> and uh, you can tell exactly what year it was when I turned 20 or turned 18 because of my, I rented the blow bitch project and the mighty not appropriate to say, but it was called, I'm quoting the title, the mighty midget. Those were the two I rented because I'm a silly bastard. And I was like, Oh, whatever. So I got my Del Mar membership and got that. But Del Mar video, huh? The, the Blair, Blair Witch okay. Project. Okay, so Blair Witch Project, but did no, it attempt to? No, did it attempt to? Was it, it no? It was just just a name. It had a card that said this footage was captured from whatever, and just gave them an excuse to shoot it on a camcorder instead of their normal stuff. But uh, well, the, uh, the only porn I ever saw in, in full length at that point, I think, was a movie called Foreskin Gump. Okay, which I had to watch. I didn't care about foreskins or anything. I just had to watch it because I wondered how much it would actually retain or try to attempt to follow the plot and it did and it just every scene added in that he had a foreskin the actor playing Forrest Gump and that would be part of the sex scene but otherwise they tried to make it a Forrest Gump parody they had one at Del Mar that was never in called Tricks T-R-I-X-X-X and it was like the Matrix it was never oh. in never in but on the back they had like you know the bullet time scene with Keanu going like this but it was yes. like <laughs> it was a money shot thing but they, I was like I want to see how they pull that off like just I, uh, I have yeah. to, but it was never in. So I'll just say it. I'll just say the best, the the clever, at a the cleverest title I ever saw for porn series was "Catch Her in the Eye," which is an awful thing to say. <laughs> can you believe that someone was clever enough to do a porn series along like sixteen volumes called "Catch Her"? Oh in the God, eye? should be writing for like real the <laughs> National Lampoon or something. And now on to our main event: Poetic Justice. Tupac Shakur, Poetic Justice, from the creator of Boys in the Hood, rated R, at theaters July 23rd. Written and directed by John Singleton, starring Janet Jackson, Tupac Shakur, Regina King, Joe Terry, Candy Alexander, Maya Angelou, and Q-Tip. Grieving hairdresser Justice goes on a road trip from South Central LA to Oakland on a mail truck alongside her friend, and a postal worker, which she cannot stand. All right, who wants poetic justice first? Yeah, we'll talk about it. Go, um, Aaron. It's a solid movie. Um, it's a it's a really solid follow up to Boys in the Hood. I like that it's a pivot as far as the genre while still maintaining mm-hmm. the voice that Singleton clearly carved out for himself. First, bat out to get him a Best Director nomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie's like it's weirdly iconic in its own way, where like it wasn't as strong of a hit as far as. Boys in the Hood's an Oscar nominee, but like, so is Poetic Justice, actually, come to think of it. But, but you know what I mean? It's not a movie that's like coming out of nowhere being like, wow, look at this. We've never seen something like this before, white people. Um, and so, and so, like, and now you have this movie that has a similar kind of energy as far as here's a guy that's from the hood that's telling you a story that has characters that are associated in some way, but it's then being like, but, but enough of that. We're going to throw him into like this romantic odyssey. And, I enjoyed that. I like, I've seen this movie a number of times, but I, I was happy watching it again recently. And I watched it with Singleton's commentary and the rest of peace, John Singleton. But I, yeah. he's such a, I, I've, regardless of how much I like some of his movies, especially 
later on with like abduction. I, I find him a fascinating voice. I, I think he's very much a guy that enjoyed doing what he was doing, regardless mm-hmm. of how well his movies came out. I feel like he's a guy that like grew up with filmmakers and just wanted to make movies. And I feel like that spirit's just always maintained in his films. And this one very much shows that as well, where he's trying to say something about, you know, the world around him, but he's also making like an exercise in a romantic film, which is interesting when you have, you know, Tupac Shakur, who's still kind of, I mean, he's young in general, but like mm-hmm. he's still kind of young in his career right he's like just kind of breaking off in his solo thing he has one album out at this time and then you have janet jackson who obviously you know more you know she's she's in the billboard top 10 every week at this point yeah i like their energy together you have younger regina king in here who she's great as well like there's a lot of just like (laughs) for a movie like this i i like the journey that it takes i like that it's very character specific I like that it feels like a director that's making choices and putting this kind of thing together. Uh, obviously, you know, it has good music and all that. Like, there's without <laughs> saying. Um, but yeah, it's it's a solid, like, character, romantic comedy mixed with a little bit of drama that kind of reflects the times. I, I, I quite like this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed that it was very slice of life while also having characters that I felt were very specific and sketched in and often sometimes quote unquote unsympathetic. I mean, there's a scene where Tupac acts like frankly, a raging asshole to Janet Jackson, but that's okay because it's a character study and these characters are allowed to be flawed and complicated. Um, I, you know, I enjoyed the fact that, it's weird. I mean, Janet Jackson is a perfectly good actress, despite the Razzie Award that she won for this film, because oh, Razzies are kind of racist. Razzies are awful. It's like, <laughs> really? Like, single yeah. this Yeah. But she, most desirable feat TV movie awards that year, so it evens out. Um, but the weird thing is, you know, for whatever reason, ton of movies, but she seems to have, you know, the situation where she might have been a movie star if she had worked more. Yeah. And by that, I mean, this film opened well. And then the first film she does for Tyler Perry, Why Did I Get Married? And it's an ensemble cast, but she's, I would say, by far the biggest name in the cast. It opens like $25 million. And yes, a lot of Perry's movies are opening that well at that point. Mm-hmm. But she clearly was she's a butts hurting. and seats draw. Yeah, she's not hurting a movie when she's in it. Right. And, why, you know, that's why I think, you know, that's why the clumps really needed Janet Jackson to be a bigger success. Yeah, that's I, I forgot she was in that. God, but yes. Um, and yeah, it's 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 this feels very much like a and again, stupid comparison. So forgive me in advance, but the way that, you know, Spike Lee followed up Malcolm X, this big and towering picture with something very, very much smaller and intimate that was Crooklyn. Yeah. Um and it also felt to a certain extent, you know, John Sickleman saying, look, I can do more than just a stereotypical, you know, guns in the hood type you know, melodrama. And while this certainly deals with some of those issues, because you almost can't not in that day and age, and maybe in this day and age, it's it also feels like a very specific yet universal romantic melodrama that in this case happens to be centered around a black woman. And in terms of, you know, you know not to be patronizing here but you know giving underrepresented demographics their time in the spotlight giving them the kind of movie that white actors took for granted um and you know it just reminds me that you know 
I pretty much like every John Singleton movie, except yeah. for Abduction. I mean, I, I have issues with Four Brothers. That's more just, you know. Four Brothers rocks. <laughs> as a, yes, as a genre pictures, it's excellent. I just. I, had, it, I don't know if you know this, Brandon. It's also secretly a Western. It's secretly a Western. Secretly, yes. Is it a remake of a John Wayne picture? I mean, it's taken a lot of elements from a couple of different things, but it very much yeah. has a like the movie ends of Mark Wahlberg walking out in the snow. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> and that that you know that in Shaft are what made me think that for a time John Singleton probably did the best shootouts of any Hollywood American director. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really cool. Oh, his Shaft is really good. Like that's yeah. an overlooked movie. Like, um, I mean that that's one of those movies that like it got decent reviews in its time mm-hmm. and it was a solid success. But by today's standards, it fucking would have been a Best Picture runner up or uh, front runner. Just because it's so naughty and complicated, and you know, just the cast is just ridiculous. He was using Tony Collette before it was cool. Yeah, exactly. Like Tony, you know, right off the sixth sense, like Mm -hmm. Tony Collette comes in and just gives like an Oscar-worthy performance just because. Well, her, Jeffrey Wright, and Christian Bale are doing. Yes, that was back in this weird time where Christian Bale got seeds cut so that Jeffrey Wright could get a spotlight. Yeah. I'll, I'll go to. I mean, I'll go to. Back yeah, to, too fast, too furious. He's a too black. Fast, no, he's a black director making live action anime. Like that yeah. is like that's that's not a thing you get very often at all. And when I and I'm I'm sure I mentioned this before, but when I went back and rewatched all the Fast and Furious films before Part Nine, that was the one that sort of grew in esteem for me. It does because you, once you realize everybody's aware of what's going. The first time you see it, you're like, man, this is kind of stupid. Then you realize, like, oh wait, they all know it. They're they very aware of what's going on here. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I, it's by default. I mean, again, I think you've got F5, F7, and then like everything else, but I think F2 is, or ah, F2, Too Fast, Too Furious is one of the best of everything else to use a statement we just used five minutes ago. And yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I'm, I'm looking at his filmography and yeah, other than abduction, there's not a bum in the, in the, no, there's he, not a bum picture here. I really and like even it. abduction, which is not a good movie, but I remember it opened in the same weekend as the killer elite, which was a, mm. Big oh, mega budget Jason Statham, uh, Clive Owen, Robert De Niro picture where abduction had better action. Um, Brandon, what did you think of this movie? Oh, yeah. I no, I, I like this movie. I love John Singleton. Like, I like hearing he's a guy I like hearing talk about movies because yeah. he's got a real eye for like talent and movie geekness. Like, that I, I think like some people looking at his films might not t- might take for granted or something because like. Um, I went back on the Blu-ray, watched like the bonus features and stuff for him to talk about like, oh man, Tupac was going to be my De Niro. We were going to do like all these things and him having the the idea like I need a hit my next movie like Janet hasn't been in a movie before if she and I know she wants to act. If I have her first movie, I have a hit no matter if my movie's well reviewed or not. Like she was his safeguard for it. And that's that's someone really who's a fan of movies, knows how the movies work really putting it together together even as is like you know second film or whatever um he yeah it just this is a fun little like road trip romantic comedy i don't think a lot of black movies were being done like this at this time like this was like like why can't we have these like you know romantic comedies like this and stuff like that and he's really normalizing black movies with this no, very I think, much so. is what he's doing it's, like it's he's stepping not stone to when we get to like later in the 90s when you get like the queen latifah and jada pinkett movies that start coming out jamie fox movie like yeah you know, it, it, this is a, a bridge to that which yeah. i appreciate this is the all-timer scene like tupac's first scene where they're at the counter and she like harasses him 
like, like, well, it gives him his harassment back. Like, oh, the Poonan, do you hear that? He wants to give me, like, and he's like embarrassed. And I think, like, he wanted Ice Cube for this. Yeah. I, this isn't very, I don't, I'm not like, a, I like Ice Cube, but like, it doesn't work with him. Well, um, Cube said no, also. He realized that yeah. too. Like, I don't, I, this yeah. is not, Tupac, I, I mean, is, <laughs> Tupac is re- like, he's, convincing as gentle and sensitive in a way that this guy was not in real life apparently yeah. which is very um, impressive when you watch juice and you watch this because this yeah. is scary in that movie he's scary and charismatic and this he's sensitive and charismatic like he the guy had rage mm-hmm. it's a setting that like all these things happen because he's like there's an interesting know, career that could have happened well he, singleton said like he's like i told him like i told him to his face you're a better you you're not as good at rap as you think you are. You're a much better actor. You should drop drop the music thing. Tupac's like, F you, man. <laughs> he he can convincedly play an underdog in a role like this that I don't yeah. think Ice Cube could have at that point. Or certainly yeah. not now because he's old. Cube has an authority to him. Yeah, so yeah. Like, there's like it's yeah. too much command in, in Ice Cube that he he's just can't shake. Yeah. yeah. He can play <laughs> smaller at least. Like you get you're not gonna see Ice Cube playing like the guy in glasses sitting in the chair. Yeah. <laughs> And you can dress Tupac up to look kind of pretty too. So you can kind of get that he's not like effeminate, but like he he could you could buy the guy with the softer side. Um he didn't wouldn't have to be this like hard ass. He could he could be scary or you could want to give him a hug. Like that's yeah, the it's, kind of it's, things he the kind of range he has. And it's a simplistic comparison, but you know, it's Keanu Reeves mm-hmm. in the idea that he could play a certain puppyish innocence. Yeah. Well, I, I also oh. like, I think Janet's good in this. And yeah, I like, I love the scene where she takes Regina Hall drunk out the back of the truck. It's like, listen, asshole. Like it like, tells her <laughs> off. Like, and you know, and it's like on the side of her, like boyfriend and stuff Like you would just, you'd normally see in a movie where it's like, Oh, sisters stay together. And that guy would have had to fuck up somehow. Um, uh, I like, she goes from Q-tip to Tupac. That's kind of a, Interesting thing with it, and it's funny. Fan, so I felt bad. Yeah, the opening scene is just like it almost feels like it's there to be like, yeah, this is the guy who did Boys in the Hood coming over here to do this movie, but it's nothing like that really. Kind of the rest of the way. And we didn't then, talk, hold on, we didn't even talk about the real opening. The opening with the fake movie that stars. Oh, yeah. Which, oh yeah, stars Billy Lori, Zane and Lori Petty. Lori's back. <laughs> Having not seen this in a very long time, I watched it on Tubi. And when yeah. that scene showed up, I thought, did they have the wrong movie? Because this is Tubi, so it could be some 1990s direct-to-video Treat Williams action movie that I've yeah. never heard of that happens to be called Poetic Justice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was funny. Yeah, Lori Petty, Billy Zane, like, wait, what? Is- oh, yeah, they're at a movie, they're at a drive-in. I will say to touch it back to summer of 82 at uh, 40, it reminded me in a way of an officer and a gentleman because it, it, well, it had a score that slowly hinted and built up to a hit song that didn't play till the end. Janet Jackson's again is woven into the score Mm -hmm. of that movie. Um, thematically, huh? It gets nominated. Yeah. Which gets nominated. So thematically, I, I, I don't know about officer and gentleman, but, um, that's where it reminded me of that. You're not quite. I mean, I, yeah, like they're obviously not one and one, but there's like yeah. you know, there's threads there. I can see. Yeah, but uh, it's mainly the score part of it. But yeah, no, I. This is a fun. This is solid, like rock solid movie, and it that does well from what I remember. But um, yeah, no, Singleton, 
he's just he's rock solid. He's really good. He's rock solid. He knows what he does. Um, I don't know what happened. Like he starts getting into like TV and stuff, but like I'll say I'll say this right now: the show Snowfall that he created mm-hmm. that he passed away before. I mean, it's still like at the time of this recording, there's like two episodes left of Snowfall. It's okay. terrific. It's a terrific show that very much deals with stuff mm-hmm. that he wanted to bring into the public consciousness as far as what's going on in the hood and why um it, it's a really solid show it's another fx show that seemingly got under the radar um it's not quite like the americans which seem to get like at least more recognition from the emmys but it's a it's a really good show and i'm happy that every week mm-hmm. when it ends it says created by john singleton because yeah he's a strong hand in why this show exists and the fact that it was able to be on for like five seasons while not i assume not getting stellar ratings is a testament to i think what mm-hmm. kind of quality he can be associated with and like what kind of people he wants to work with that, you know, get results. Yeah. Uh, David Banks, who's uh, doing a couple of the music video episodes uh, for summer of 93 at 30 as always, he referred to John Singleton, like what we talked about him when he passed away. And he was like, yo, he's like, man, that man made the highest echelon hood classics of all times. Like <laughs> so he considered it, uh, talked about with him. Like, but yeah, I, I do miss John Singleton. I was, it was really just, sad when he passed away yeah like i was really was was like, like a brain tumor or something like yeah, that. yeah it was like he, he was alive he had a stroke and then it was like later that week he passed away it was like oh gee like it was like oh he had a stroke oh that sucks it's like no it was a really bad stroke it's like yeah he's gonna be brain dead if he survives and then passed away like it was really yeah we said i know him and like sam jackson got into it uh on the final cut of shaft yeah and that's kind of why things went away but which kind of sucks, but that's the only like negative thing I've really heard about him throughout his years. But no, this project, go back and watch Poetic Justice. It's a charming little movie. It's really good. It's kind of like, I don't know, how many road trip romance movies do we have? Like, there's like Rob Reiner's got that one. I mean, sure there's thing. a lot. Yeah, there are. I guess there are a lot. But, but in terms of like this, you know, it's a specific kind of film. Like, it's a black yeah. film that yeah. I would. I can't. I can name plenty of road trip romantic comedies. I can't name too yeah. many black road trip romantic. Right, comedies. but the, yeah, this is yeah, this one that yeah, that's why it would stand out, and that's why it's. I mean, it is one of the best, regardless of that. I would say. I'd watch a black. It happen one night. There you go. Yeah, of course. Yes. Give me Make that. Make that. Okay, uh, Scott. How did Poetic Justice and the rest of these do at the box office this week? Poetic Justice debuted at number one at the domestic box office uh, with $11.73 million. Again, John Singleton was a marquee director and uh, Janet Jackson was a butts and seats movie star. Um, the film would eventually go on to make $27.5 million domestic. I'm not seeing the global on the numbers. So let me do wiki really quick. Because inexplicable, no, it's uh, yeah, 27.5 total on a 14 budget, which is fine. I mean, it probably did very well on home video and HBO and all that jazz. Um, in the line, excuse me, in the line of fire in second place. This is a film that debuted in third place, by the way, I think, behind Jurassic Park and The Firm three weeks ago. Now it's in second place with $11.2 million, dropping just 14%, still adding screens in its third weekend, now up to 2,129 screens. It had $54.1 million in 17 days. It would, of course, eventually make $187 million worldwide. And uh, The Firm. Really close one, two, three race this week. Yeah. 
the firm going from number one to number three, but still doing very well. Thank you very much. $10 million in 2,400 theaters, dropping just 25%. For a crossover appeal with uh, Wilder Napalm, right? They're like, oh, we can't see the firm. Wilder Napalm's out. No, it's not out yet. Wilder Napalm comes out in a couple weeks. We're going to go line up for Wilder Napalm so we can't see the firm this week. we got to stay in line. Yes. Uh, It would effectively earn $270 worldwide. Uh, Free Willy uh, adds 461 screens for a 1,937 screen total and jumps 10% in its second weekend of release, earning $8.6 million for a $22 million or $22.6 million total. It would eventually earn $154 million worldwide. Um, and then, of course, our next opener, Coneheads, opening to a slightly disappointing $27.1 million in 1978 screens. Uh, it would eventually earn around $21 million on a 30 budget. Oh, that's a bomb. One thing about Coneheads, mm. it introduced me to Tainted Love, the song. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a, that, that movie introduced me to that song. Oh, Valley Girl? No, Coneheads. Yeah, oh. <laughs> I never seen Valley Girl at that time, but I saw Conan's. I was, Valley... little... no, I was thinking Melt with you. That's that's Valley Girl. That's what, yeah. in that one too. I don't know, Might <laughs> be. but I but I didn't I didn't know Tainted Love. Oh, gotcha. Except for because of that movie, and not only like do the kids play it, but then he sings it to the fucking rock and thing at the end. <laughs> As a like a distraction method, which I well, really... that movie had like Conehead's actual recorded songs in character in the credits. It was weird. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. Uh, in seventh place, we had Sleepless in Seattle, still holding strong, dropping just 22% in its fifth weekend for a $5.75 million weekend for an $82 million 10-day total. It would eventually earn a whopping $228 million worldwide. But remember, kids, romantic comedies are box office poison. Speaking of box office poison, Hocus Hocus fucking Pocus dropped another 32% in its second weekend, which is an okay hole, just didn't open very well. So it only made $5.5 million in its second weekend for an $18.7 million 10-day total for eventually earning $45 million worldwide on a 38 budget. How many streaming subscriptions would that equate in today's language? Five! <laughs> anyway, uh, another stakeout. Uh, Walt Disney also, ironically, back when they made, you know, other movies, uh, another stakeout earned $5.4 million, which was a disappointing result, even though it only opened on 1,185 screens, which something I brought this up last week, and I think it's worth repeating. We were still in a situation where there were were only, you know, a quote unquote, limited number of total theaters available Mm -hmm. in the country. So if you had a crowded summer slate, some of these films might not open on a gajillion theaters. Uh, Even Poetic Justice only opened on uh, 1,273 screens. Which means, by the way, uh, sky high, 9,213 per screen average. Um... Another stakeout, 5.4. It would eventually earn just $20 million. There would be no, I'll always know what you staked out. Because the first one made like 65, right? Yes, it made about as much as Lethal Weapon. Yeah, well, that's why they made a sequel. Uh, Domestically. Which, by the way, I I was incorrect. Uh, Lethal Weapon came out in March of 87, while the first stakeout came out in August of 87. Hmm. Um, where the summer bucks were coming from, Estevez and Dreyfus. Clearly, clearly. And finally, in 10th place, Rookie of the Year. Uh, adding one theater, good one theater, one theater, one theater. So, I want to take I a find moment. Very funny. I want to take a moment and capture this top ten list as we have Tobin Bell, Lori Petty, 
Gary Busey and Rosie O'Donnell all in two movies each in the top 10. Tobin Bell is kicking ass uh, up there in the top. But yeah, they're all each have multiple movies in the top 10. (laughs) As it should be. Yes. It should be. Yeah. Uh, Rookie of the Year made $4.5 million on Weekend 3, dropping 32% in 1,544 theaters for an eventual domestic total of $53.5 million. That film stuck around for a while. Mm. Um, And that's all for the top 10. All right. Well, appreciate that. Well, thank you guys again. That was the week that was July 23rd through 25th of 1993. Scott and Aaron, uh, before we head out... Where can people keep up with you, Aaron? Everything I do ends up on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. I write for Leave Entertainment for blue for movie reviews, and I write for Wise is Blue for Blue Ran Criterion reviews. I host a podcast out now with Aaron and A with my friend Abe. We talk about the weekly movie releases, and I am on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Still legacy verified. All right. <laughs> Aaron pays for Twitter. All right. Uh, <laughs> Don't spread these rumors. <laughs> Uh, Scott. Hey, Twitter Blue is a fucking edit function. I'd pay for it if it wasn't considered sacrilegious now. Anyway, I'm at therap.com and at Twitter, unpaid, and at scottmendelson.com, or at scottmendelson. All right, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at brandon4kuhd, written work at whysoblue.com. Next week, uh, Tom and Jerry save cinemas again. Uh, <laughs> the... the <laughs> <laughs> The the sun rises, the tights rises, and the axe rises. So yeah, uh, this so, is a, another weekend where probably people have heard of or seen all four of these films. There you go. Uh, all that and more as the summer of ninety three at three at thirty continues. It's the summer of ninety three at thirty. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of and News Themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.